If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 657. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. If you are watching on YouTube, click on that little super thanks button under the video and throw a few pennies my way. Keep the podcast free of charge. Also, you can go to brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show while you're there. You can click on the support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way there. You can go to anchor.fm. You can become a subscriber there to the podcast. You can support the show by going to McClanahan Academy and purchasing one or 20 of my classes. I have a new one out if you're watching this uh, the week of June 27th. There's a new class, Reading Abraham Lincoln. It's on sale right now. If you're on my email list, you've gotten the coupon for it. It's a great deal, and it's an awesome class. It's going to tear apart. It's going to break down the entire Lincoln myth. So, it, it, I mean, it is an amazing class. So, you're going to want it. So, go over to McClanahan Academy. Pick it up. That helps keep this podcast free of charge as well. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Send me those show requests. I do like to hear what you want to hear. And of course, what I'm going to talk about today was uh, a hot topic last week. Um, And I would have done an extra podcast on it on Friday, uh, but I thought to wait till Monday, wrap around. And of course, I'm talking about the docket on the Supreme Court last week and the two very big decisions, one dealing with supposedly the Second Amendment, And, of course, the other Roe v. Wade. But really what's at stake here and what's going on in all of this is the 14th Amendment. That's what was being decided last week at the Supreme Court. So I want to talk about that. I'm going to focus on one particular justice, and that's Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas is receiving a lot of hate right now because of his concurring opinion in the Dobbs case, which I'm going to go into because it's an amazing concurring opinion. And when I say it's amazing, it's because of what he says in it uh, when it comes to to the idea of substantive due process. Now, the issue again is the 14th Amendment in both cases. In fact, if there's one amendment that's completely undermined the original Constitution, it's the 14th Amendment. And if there's one amendment that's been dramatically misinterpreted by both the left and the right, it's the 14th Amendment. In fact, in both of these cases, in the, in the case with the New York law that was invalidated by the Supreme Court and, of course, Roe v. Wade, the 14th Amendment is front and center. On the one hand, the conservative majority, in, in a 6-3 ruling, said that the state of New York cannot uh, have a concealed carry restriction for firearms. On the other hand, in a 5-4 to four essentially majority, though you could say it was 6-3, to three, John Roberts concurred, though he wouldn't have struck down Roe v. Wade, um, you have the conservative majority arguing that 
substantive due process is a bad legal theory, or at least in this case, the 14th Amendment was misapplied when, when, uh, when it comes to the issue of Roe v. Wade and, and abortion. So which one is it? The court is bipolar on this. On the one hand, they love the 14th Amendment. On the other hand, they don't like the 14th Amendment. Now, Thomas went further than, the, than four of the justices in saying the substantive due process is a bad legal theory. But you could also say that incorporation is a bad legal theory, and it all comes down to that anyways. It doesn't matter if it's substantive due process or if it's incorporation. Both of those are a distortion of what the 14th Amendment was actually designed to do. Now, the best book on the 14th Amendment by far is Raoul Berger's Government by Judiciary. You're going to need to get it if you want to read where he completely rips apart this idea of the 14th Amendment incorporating the Bill of Rights. But that's the entire basis of the New York decision that was issued on Thursday. It was, uh, and, and Thomas says it in the, in the, in the majority opinion, the decision was decided because of the 2nd and 14th Amendment. And then, of course, on Friday in the Dobbs decision, the 14th Amendment is the enemy. The left is completely justified in arguing that the court really doesn't know what it's doing with the 14th Amendment. In fact, Alan Dershowitz wrote a little piece, I read it in The Hill, where he says, you know, which one do we want? Do we want the 14th Amendment here or the 14th Amendment here? Well, in my opinion, we don't want the 14th Amendment at all. It's one of the worst amendments ever added to the Constitution when it comes to how it's been interpreted. And we know that the Supreme Court for years did not interpret it the way that it's been interpreted in the 20th century. You can thank Hugo Black for that. I've talked about incorporation on this podcast before. But it's not just incorporation, it's substantive due process, which, of course, was around before the 14th Amendment, as Clarence Thomas illustrates in, in his dissent, or I'm sorry, in his concurring opinion in the Dobbs case, um, where he talks about uh, the Dred Scott case. And that was the first time we actually saw the legal doctrine of substantive due process used. Now, of course, at that particular point, they're relying on the Fifth Amendment, and they're dealing with federal property. Okay, So there is a, a little bit of a distinction between the Dred Scott case and any other case with the 14th Amendment, because the 14th Amendment is now being applied to the states. When we had the Dred Scott case, that was simply federal property. That's federal territory. And what they were saying there is you can't deny someone their due process. Or you can't say that, you know, you can't deny someone bring their slaves into the territory because that's denying them due process. And Thomas rips this apart, and correctly so. In fact, I don't think that's the when the Supreme Court argued that position in Dred Scott, they were actually doing it wrong. Um, the real issue there was a Tenth Amendment issue, as Democrats pointed out, Stephen Douglas and others pointed out in that particular instance, um, that this was a power not delegated to the center. Okay, that's, that's a whole other issue if you wanted to argue their position there. But the Supreme Court got it wrong in Dred Scott with substantive due process, just like they've gotten it wrong in so many other things. And of course, Thomas is ripped apart for this because he brings up all these social issues, which are decided because of substantive due process in the 14th Amendment. But again, if you live by the 14th Amendment, you die by the 14th Amendment. So Thomas can say the 14th Amendment is okay here, but it's not okay here. But at the end of the day, neither one is okay. So let me get into these decisions. I'm going to focus more on the Dobbs decision and, and what Thomas wrote in the concurring opinion there than I do on the majority opinion in the 
New York case. Now, a lot of a lot of people, conservatives, libertarians, they love this decision by the Supreme Court on Thursday. But again, you got to be very careful with this because if you live by the 14th, you die by the 14th. And that's exactly what Thomas was saying. In fact, even in the Dobbs decision, Alito, who wrote the majority, said, well, this doesn't apply to any other substantive due process issue. It doesn't apply to marriage. Uh, it doesn't apply to... Uh, any other uh, any other issue that could be decided by substantive due process. Only this one issue is which narrowly focused on this one issue. But Thomas points out correctly, well, wait a second here. Um, if you're going to strike this down because this is substantive due process, you got to look at all these other cases that are substantive due process and go after those as well. And I think he's correct about that. So what would be interesting in this, in this scenario is the court, I don't think they're going to go along with Thomas, I think they're just going to leave those issues out there because they don't they don't want to get involved in that stuff. The court can refuse to hear certain cases. But I will tell you, the Thomas concurring opinion is important because I do think people are going to now bring some of these other issues back to federal court and say, this is illegal. For example, uh, same-sex marriage is going to be, I think, something that's going to be challenged in federal court again. And the Supreme Court can either refuse to hear the case or they can... Uh, they can move on from there. But um, I do think it's going to be challenged again. You're going to see it. And that's because of Thomas's concurring opinion. This is a huge, it's, a, it's an earth-shattering opinion in so many ways because he completely obliterates substantive due process. And he's talking about federalism. Again, though, the problem with that is his majority opinion in the New York case. So let me tell, let me go through what he said in the New York case first. And it's Pretty straightforward. Um, he says, quote, this is June 23rd, 2022. In District of Columbia, v. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, that is the New York, yeah, the New York case. June 23rd, 2022. In District of Columbia v. Heller and McDonald v. Chicago, we recognize that the Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect the right of an ordinary law-abiding citizen to possess a handgun in the home for self-defense. In this case, petitioners and respondents agree that ordinary law-abiding citizens have a similar right to carry handguns publicly for their self-defense. We too agree and now hold consistent with Heller and McDonald that the Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect an individual's right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home. So what they've just done here is it's not the Second Amendment, it's the Fourteenth Amendment. You just can't let this stand on the Second Amendment. Now, almost the entire majority opinion focuses on the Second Amendment. And they talk about the 14th Amendment because that's what applies the Second Amendment to the states. So this is a discussion of the Second Amendment, but in reality, it's a discussion of the 14th Amendment. Now, who created all this nonsense? Well, the left. And you see all the lefties running around. Uh, we've got uh, Ian Milheiser at Vox um, talking about how dangerous the court is to abolish the Supreme Court. We had Keith Olbermann, uh, you know, un, unhinged, saying we need to abolish the Supreme Court. Who cares about Supreme Court decisions? And these lefties are unhinged, but you know what? They created all this by their fraudulent interpretation of the 14th Amendment. If we didn't have incorporation, this wouldn't even be an issue. The New York laws would still be in place. States could do what they want with firearms as long as the central government wasn't passing any gun control legislation, which in fact they just did, which again is illegal, as I've said many times on this podcast. As long as the federal government's not passing any gun control legislation, the states are good, right? The states are good to do what they want. 
They can regulate firearms the way they choose. This is the whole point of federalism. And it was thought, if you read my Founding Fathers Guide to the Constitution, if you read how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America, read both those books. And what you'll find, and that I argue, is that this was the key element to ratifying the Constitution. The states could do what they want and all these issues, and of course the federal government was powerless unless it's explicitly said they had the power to do X, Y, and Z. Now, the federal government has the power to arm the militia. That means they can tell us we all have to carry a firearm. They can do it. The central government can say everyone in America has to carry a firearm. Of a certain age, they could, they could say it however they want to. The militia can be this segment of the population, 18 to 45. It can be male and female, and you have to be armed. Every person has to have a firearm and is trained how to use it. In fact, if the federal government really wanted to get right about these things, this is exactly what they would do. They would train people how to use it, and you would have one. Now, all the gun, uh, anti-gun people would go nuts about this because uh, they would say that's going to create you know, an armed camp in the United States. But I'm going to tell you, if all the bad guys knew all the good guys had a firearm, there would probably be some different things out there. And people knew how to use them. They were trained to use them. They knew what they were doing. Um, it would be different than what we see now. Uh, because that's, I mean, the soft targets are a problem in America with the mentally unstable and ill people that want to do horrible things to people. This is, this is an issue. But regardless, um, this, is, this is what the federal government could do. In fact, they did it in 1790 when they passed the Militia Act. They said you have to have a firearm, you have to have a certain amount of uh, ammunition, you have to have a certain amount of powder, you've got to be trained how to use it. This is what they were doing in setting up the militia. Now, the opponents of the Constitution argued that because the central government could arm the militia, then they could disarm the militia. This was going to be a problem. This is why they wanted a Second Amendment, to ensure that the federal government cannot disarm the militia, which was every able-bodied male citizen of a certain age they wanted to ensure that you would not be disarmed. Now, the federal government. The states, however, could regulate however they wanted to. The states could disarm. The states could arm. And this comes back to your state constitutions. What is the language in your state constitution about firearms? Where is it? What does it say? If your state constitution doesn't have any language there, then you need to put it in there if you want to ensure those, those civil liberties are protected at the state level. If not, if you're, if you're good with that and you think that firearm ownership is a bad idea, well, then you need to make sure that your state constitution deals with that too. And we have a federal system where we can have diversity in these particular types of issues, right? We have that. And so... This is the beauty of federalism. I said it on social media. Leftists are discovering the beauty of federalism until the next day when we had the Dobbs decision, which uh, now they are completely going ballistic over. But you know what? In California, everything stays the same. In Massachusetts, in New York, nothing's changed in those states. The only thing that's changed is that in about 26 states, you're going to see severe restrictions uh, after Roe v. Wade is underturned, so overturned. So you're going to see some differences in some states. And this is because of, again, they knocked down part of the, in some ways, the 14th Amendment. Substantive due process was on the docket with Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision. And this is where I wanted to get to Clarence Thomas and what he said about this, because this is so important. So Clarence Thomas, in his concurring opinion on the Dobbs decision, says this. He says, Moreover, apart from being a demonstrably incorrect reading of the Due Process Clause, the legal fiction of substantive due process 
is particularly dangerous. At least three dangerous favor, favor jettisoning the doctrine entirely. This is why this is so earth-shattering. Now, he's citing himself in the McDonald case and the Ogrefell case. He's saying that substantive due process is dangerous, and it should be jettisoned entirely. What Clarence Thomas has just done is go on the offensive against, uh, the, against uh, legislating from the bench through the 14th Amendment. What he should say is that the people should jettison the 14th Amendment entirely. No 14th Amendment, no New York gun rights case. It can't even exist. So you see, the problem is that. Now, the left libertarians, all the, they're going to get really upset that I'm talking about taking down the 14th Amendment, but this is the case. If you want to get rid of an amendment that's done more damage to federalism in America because of incorrect Supreme Court decisions, it is the 14th Amendment. And we know it was never designed to do what it's doing. So, I'm going to read what he says. He says, first, substantive due process exalts judges at the expense of the people from whom they derive their authority. Because the due process clause speaks only to process, the court has long struggled to define what substantive, due, substantive rights it protects. In practice, the court's approach for identifying those fundamental rights unquestionably involves policy-making rather than neutral legal analysis. The court divines new rights in line with its own extra-constitutional value preferences and nullifies state laws that do not align with the judicially created guarantees. Now, could you not say that the court has just done that in the New York pistol decision? Of course they did. Now, they can, they can back it up by saying, well, the Second Amendment is very clear about this. Well, couldn't you say that the Fifth Amendment was very clear about this, or the Fourth Amendment was very clear about this? You see, what Thomas is doing here is trying to create some wiggle room, but he's being inconsistent and hypocritical. Now, I agree with this, this, uh, this, this concurring uh, opinion. I agree with it 100%. This is the real issue. The problem is they don't apply it evenly to everything, right? They just don't do it. He says, nowhere in this exaltation of judicial policymaking clearer, is this clearer than the court's abortion jurisprudence in Roe v. Wade. The court divined a right to abortion because it felt that the 14th Amendment's concept of personal liberty included a right of privacy that is broad enough to encompass a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. The court likewise identified an abortion guarantee in the liberty protected by the 14th Amendment, but rather than a right of privacy, it invoked an uh, ethereal right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. And this is another case, the Planned Parenthood v. Casey case. At the court's preferred manifestation of liberty, as the court's preferred manifestation of liberty change, so did the test used to protect it, as Rose author lamented. Now, in this case, the nature of the purported liberty supporting the abortion right is shifted yet again. Respondents in the United States propose no fewer than three different interests that supposedly spring from the Due Process Clause. They include bodily integrity, personal autonomy in matters of family, medical care, and faith, and women's equal citizenship. That 50 years have passed since Roe and abortion advocates still cannot coherently articulate the right or rights at stake proves the obvious. The right to abortion is ultimately a policy goal in desperate search of a constitutional justification. This is 100% true, and they're using the 14th Amendment to do this. So see, this is where Thomas is wiggling out of this. Well, we have a clear Second Amendment. We don't have a clear anything with any of this stuff. 
There's no clear anything here. This is you're reading into the 14th Amendment or maybe the Fourth Amendment. You're trying to find something. And this is what people have... Well, but this is a clear situation with the 14th and the Second. It's not clear with the 14th and something else. You know what the big problem is? It's the 14th. That's the amendment that is causing all the chaos in America because the court is going to use it in any way they choose to use it. You want to have an issue where this is no, no problem anymore? Get rid of the 14th. Second, substantive process distorts other areas of constitutional law. For example, once the court identifies a fundamental right for one class of individuals, it invokes the Equal Protection Clause to demand exacting scrutiny of statutes that deny the right to others. And he brings up, of course, several different things. Statutory classifications implicating certain non-fundamental rights, meanwhile, receive only cursory review. Similarly, this court deems unconstitutionally vague or overboard those laws that impinge on its preferred rights, while letting slide those laws that impede supposedly lesser values. In fact, our vagueness doctrine served as the basis for the first draft of majority opinion Roe v. Wade, and has since been deployed to nullify even mild regulations of the industry. Therefore, regardless of the doctrinal context, the court often demands extra justifications for encroachments on preferred rights while relaxing purportedly higher standards of review for less preferred rights. Substantive due process is the core inspiration for many of the court's constitutionally unmoored policy judgments. Beautiful statement. I agree, 100%. It's also the problem when you look at incorporation, right? Which should never have happened. And in fact, in the... Um, in the New York Pistol decision, they bring up incorporation of the First Amendment, right? But see, this is what's happening. What they're doing is saying, well, we can incorporate things that are expressly said in the Bill of Rights, but then these things that we're trying to wiggle and create some right, well, that's not necessarily something we can incorporate. That's not something we can do. Don't incorporate anything. Just say, enough. We're not. New York law should have stood. It's not a Second Amendment issue. It's a state issue in that particular way. It should have stood. And I know people get very upset when I say that, uh, but because they, they don't like that, that stance, but this is the right thing. There's a right and wrong when it comes to interpretation of the 14th Amendment. Then Thomas says, third, substantive due process is often wielded to disastrous ends. For instance, in Dred Scott v. Sanford, the court invoked a species of substitute process to announce that Congress was powerless to emancipate slaves brought into the federal territories. While Dred Scott was overruled on the battlefields of the Civil War and by constitutional amendment after Appomattox, that a ruling was purchased at the price of immeasurable human suffering. Now today, the court overrules Roe v. Wade and Rowan Casey, two of the court's most notoriously incorrect substitute process decisions. The harm caused by this court's foray into substantive due process remains immeasurable. A beautiful statement. Um, and then his concluding paragraph is just spot on. He says, because the, court properly, because the court properly applies our substantive due process precedents to reject the fabrication of a constitutional right to abortion, and because this case does not present the opportunity to reject substantive due process entirely, I join the court's opinion. But in see that's his, that's his case. He's saying, look, because we took out we use we took out substantive process in Roe v. Wade, but did not go further and say substantive process is the real issue here. I join the opinion. I didn't go along with it because they didn't go far enough in this decision. They could have struck down substantive process. Would have struck down everything dealing with that. And the states could have gone back to doing whatever they wanted on these issues 
all these woke culture, culture war, social justice issues, all could have been returned to the states, and we would have seen a dramatically different situation in America. And this is why Thomas is saying, this case didn't go far enough. We should have gone far. I concur, but I don't completely agree with the decision. He says, but in future cases, we should follow the text of the Constitution, which sets forth certain substantive rights that cannot be taken away, and as beyond that, a right to due process when life, liberty, or property is to be taken away. Substantive process conflicts with that textual command and has harmed our country in many ways. Accordingly, we should eliminate it from our jurisprudence at the earliest opportunity. Right? So what he's saying is, we need to stop interpreting the 14th Amendment the way that the left has interpreted the 14th Amendment for decades. I would go further, and I would say I concur with Justice Thomas. We need to stop using the 14th Amendment to incorporate the Bill of Rights because it was never intended to do that to begin with. That's what should really be said. And you know what? The left, the leftist justices missed a golden opportunity to do that because they won't, because they know what the 14th Amendment can do for them. The real issue needs to be we need judges on the bench that will just say, ah, there's no incorporation. It doesn't exist. The 14th Amendment never was designed to do that. Let's go back to the slaughterhouse cases. That's the whole point. This is, this is the issue, right? The issue is that, and we know that the court can change. And this is why the left is so ballistic right now. They want the Supreme Court abolished. They want to pack the court. They want to do all kinds of things. The problem is that you're never going to get any, I, I don't think you're going to get enough judges on the right to go and do this right now, unless you get people. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you go into the legal profession, you want to be a judge, think about this. The impact you could have would be tremendous in this particular way, and that's what we should be focusing on. So my position on both of these rulings is very consistent. The 14th Amendment is the enemy. Nationalization is the enemy. On one decision, we have incorporation, which was a bad legal decision and bad legal uh, interpretation of the 14th Amendment. On the other one, we have substantive process, which is also a bad legal decision interpretation of the 14th Amendment. And so, therefore, both, both decisions. Uh, one decision is good, but I agree with Thomas, didn't go far enough. The other one is bad because it incorrectly incorporated the Second Amendment. And that's not something we should be doing either because as you start looking at incorporation, then you get into a whole mess of things. So what Thomas is trying to do is split these two things out. Yes, he believes in incorporation, but only in clearly defined instances where you can find it in the Bill of Rights, not some right to privacy, which is fabricated. He's saying that's that's just an incorrect interpretation. This is the issue at hand, and that's my position on both these things. All right, I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.